All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And sin, about sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Amen. Great. Well, it's really good to be with you all. Let me bring greetings from Mighton Church. And uh, it's just, yeah, real privilege to be here this afternoon. We're going to be looking at this passage from John's Gospel together. So um, if you've got a Bible... Do you have that open in front of you? Um, I asked Kieran to read from verse 1, which is why it wasn't on the, the PowerPoint, because actually I think that's helpfully set some of the context to the bit that we're looking at, and I'm going to be referring to that as we begin. But um, Having had God's word read, and as we, we look at it together now, let me pray for us as we do that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you and so much, we want to thank you and praise you so much that you give us your words, you give us your truth, and that you've given us your spirit. And we pray now that as we have had your word read, and as it, as it is preached now, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Wonderful things about you, and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we, we look at God's word together, it brings a message and sometimes it brings a particular message. If we just have the first slide, um, we'll start off with under 16s, I think, in terms of answer. Anyone know what that sign means? Yeah, go on, Mark. Warning. warning, that's right, okay. Now, sometimes we might think of warnings as things that are negative, there to spoil our fun. But if we could just have the next slide, um, what's that a warning sign of? Go on, um, Alexander. Oliver, sorry, <clears throat> there we go. Um, 
Yes, yeah, it's a sign of electricity. And what's the warning, the consequence of, if you don't heed the warning? Death, right? Okay, so I take it that that is a warning that's not there to spoil your fun. That is for your good. Okay, now as we are given warnings, actually Jesus brings us a warning as a church this afternoon that is not there to spoil our fun. It is for our good. So chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So the bits that have happened up to this point, Jesus has been telling them because there is a danger of something happening, and that is that they fall away. What is that falling away? It means they stop following Jesus. Now, he, he gives it to the, that's a warning to the disciples, who are later called the apostles. He gives it to the disciples, but it is a warning for us. And it, it's a warning that is for our good. See, it's a warning that says you can start well and look like you're following Jesus and going well, but never, not actually finish. What reasons might there be that we don't keep going? Well, I think in John 16, it gives some of the reasons why they might not. Verse 2, Jesus says to the disciples, they will put you out of the synagogue. And you think, well, you know, big deal. You know, kind of almost kind of excluded from coming to church. Some of you might view that as a good thing. Well, back then it was, it was like being excluded from the community. And it was a big deal for them back then. But if you don't think that's a big deal, it goes on, verse 2. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. So there's there's what might happen, a reason why you might stop following Jesus, because you get killed for it. So it's a pretty big deal. And so, so Jesus is warning them, but notice this, the warning is not so they don't get killed. That's the staggering thing. The warning is not, do this so you don't get killed. Don't go into the electricity bit so you don't get killed. Jesus says the warning is that they don't fall away. See, the the warning is actually, you might get killed, but there's something worse than that. Something worse than that is, they stop following Jesus. Now, how could that be? How could it be worth, you know, actually getting killed to keep going and following Jesus, of which these disciples, that is the fate of some of them as they keep following him. Why is stopping following Jesus a bigger deal than death? Well, just at the end of John's Gospel, it's up on the screen there. John, the reason he's writing these words, the words of Jesus to us, he says, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So you've got to believe something, and that is that the following of Jesus part. But there's there's a result if you do that, and that result is by believing you may have life in his name. Now, one of the, the complicated things about John's gospel is the way he uses language. There's a lot of light and darkness, life and death. And it's used in, in that kind of metaphor way. And we sometimes use language in that way. Of, actually, it's very chilling if someone might go, in a relationship, that person is dead to me. We don't mean they're not actually living. We mean the relationship is completely broken. So a lot of the time, John is using the words life and death, about our relationship with God, of life being a flourishing relationship with God, and death being the relationship being fundamentally broken. 
and the terrible consequences that come with that. And so, you know, you're probably some of you are familiar with John 3.16 about having eternal life. Actually, the Bible teaches everyone will live forever. It's just saying, what will that forever living look like? It looks like if we've got eternal life, being in a flourishing relationship with God. And if we're not following Jesus, it, it means living forever in a situation where there's a completely broken relationship and, it, and being under God's punishment forever. Do you see how, because that eternity goes on forever, that is far worse than even death in this life. And so Jesus says the most important thing is that we don't fall away, that we trust him and keep going in that so that we have eternal life. See, the difference whether we follow Jesus or not and keep going in that is massive. And so that is why Jesus is teaching them so that they won't fall away. And I, so I take it this message is, is to Christians as an encouragement to keep going. But maybe you're, you're here this afternoon and you think, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I'm not following Jesus. And you think, well, actually, I'm, I'm better off that way, aren't I? Well, it might seem okay now. But actually, there's the perspective that it won't seem okay in the future. So all the guys you lived back then, they're no longer alive. Okay, so that 2000, none of them are still living. The disciples at the time, people probably thought, well, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to be like them. And yet now, they, the disciples had the difficult life back then, the more difficult life probably. But now they're the ones to be envied. See, so in the perspective of eternity, as we think about things in the life to come, following Jesus is abundantly worth it, even if it's harder now. And Jesus comes and he offers us eternal life. That's the the promise you have in the gospel, that by believing in Jesus, we may have life in his name. And he offers that out to all of us if we will come and follow him. And then there is the warning that we just, well, we need to keep going in that. We need to keep going in it. Maybe though this afternoon you're thinking, okay, fine, I, I, I get that. I get like I've got to keep going, but it's hard. But our passage that we're looking at brings us encouragement for us in keeping going. That is the big focus for us. There's an encouragement in keeping going. Now, um, as we dig into this passage here, chapter 16, verse 4, um, one of the things Jesus does is he says, verse 4, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. He's basically saying, look, I've told you that that persecution, that difficulty is going to come in advance. So that when it comes, you'll remember it, that I told you it was going to be this way. Now, is that of any help? Being said, hey, it's, it's going to be difficult. And I, I've told you in advance it's going to be difficult. Well, I think it is of some help, because what happens if you're not warned in advance? If you're not warned in advance, the time comes and you think everything's gone wrong. I'll just have the, the next slide. Situation here, you're going on a journey. You're told the destination is a wonderful holiday destination. But you're told it's going to be a long journey to get there. Does it help to know in advance it's going to be a long journey? I think to some extent it does. It braces you for the journey so that you know when you're a few hours in, they haven't got lost. Still on the right path because you've t- it's working out as expected. So I think it is of some help. 
But Jesus just doesn't just tell us it's going to be difficult. We are warned about that in advance. He gives us more than that. There are things to help get us through the journey. Much more than the kind of help of, uh, I don't know, travel sickness tablets or a DVD player in the car. Actually, we're going to come and look at the, the help that we have, which is the Holy Spirit. So, let's dig into that then, in um, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to them. Jesus says, I am going away, and that going away is going to be for your good. Now, I think for them, even as it's the case for us, that is pretty hard to try and get our heads around. How could it possibly be good for Jesus to go away? You know, I mean, think about it for a moment, right? Jesus was persecuted heavily in his time here on earth. When he leaves, where's that persecution going to be directed? At his followers. So how, how is him going away and not being there to help them through it going to be for their good? Well, the answer we get here is that that clears the way for the Holy Spirit. So um, we mentioned the, when John was talking to us earlier on about the Holy Spirit is a, is a he, he's a person. He's the, the third person of the Godhead. There is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the reason why Jesus says it's for their good that he is going away is because the Holy Spirit will come. And we're given the reasons in the passage of what the Holy Spirit will come to do. So first thing we get, verses 8 to 11, is that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. Now what does that word convict mean? It means kind of convince them that the way they're thinking is wrong and get them to think in the right way. And it lists a number of areas where that's the case in sin, in righteousness, and in judgment. Now again, we ask the question, how is that of help for us in keeping going and following Jesus? The disciples are left with a, a work to do. If you've got your, your Bibles there, chapter 15, verse 26. It's on the, on the same page, just at the top of the page. It says, when the advocate comes, i.e. when the Holy Spirit comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So there's Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit will come and testify about Jesus. Then, verse 27, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says the work for the disciples is to testify, talk about Jesus to others. And the encouragement is, The Holy Spirit will enable them in that work. How will he enable them? Well, he'll convince the world as they tell people that they are in the wrong. And that their mind will be changed. I think in your series in John's Gospel, you never actually started it at John chapter 9. If you you went back into John chapter 9, you would see the religious leaders of the time basically saying about Jesus that he is a bad man. And they think of themselves as good. And yet there they are seeking to put Jesus to death for doing good. And he, you know, opening, opening the eyes of the blind. And of course, we're supposed to look at that and go, it's wrong-headed. Because Jesus was good and they were bad. And yet they think of it exactly the opposite. That Jesus is bad and they are good. How, how are they going to change their mind? It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. 
to convict them that they've got it wrong. And that's what happens. So you get to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes on the apostles, who the disciples at the time. And as they proclaim the good news of Jesus, you read about it in verse 37. And the people are cut to the heart about how they've got Jesus wrong. And they turn and they follow Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit convincing the world of getting it wrong. So that others change their mind and they come to follow Jesus. And thousands on that day turn to follow Jesus. Now he doesn't do it for everybody. In the end, in that future, everyone will be shown that. It's just at that point it will be too late for those who are not following Jesus. Now how does that help us as Christians? Well, it's an encouragement, isn't it? To keep going as we share the good news of Jesus, others will be convinced of that truth through the power of the Spirit. When we face opposition... It's because others are thinking wrongly about Jesus, not because we've got it wrong. See, the work of the Spirit convicts, it does that, it opens people's eyes to see things rightly. Um, let me just have the, the next slide up there. Um, I'm taking mostly familiar with the kind of dingbats. You look at that and you're supposed to come up with the answer to the dingbats. Uh, anyone under 16 want to have a go at that? See what this dingbat is? No, okay, I'll extend it to over 16s. Spider, okay. So, I mean, you know how it works with dingbats. Some of you look at it and you go, hang on, what's going on there? But um, this was one, I'm not very good at them normally, but um, with my mathematical background, I did get this one of the 3.142, that's the number of pi. And so if you put pi instead of the 3.142, you get spider. Alright, that's how, how that one works. Sometimes, I partly did that just to wake us up at that point and kind of, you know, re-engage our brains with it. Um, we talk about light bulb moments where things come on where we, we hadn't seen something and then we're able to see something. And sometimes you might get that with a dingbat. Sometimes you just, I have no idea and you need it explained to you and then you get it. And it's like that with the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see. Actually, as we are, it would be like blindfolding you and say, can you get the dingbat? Not having seen it at all. It would be impossible, but this Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see. So it opens our eyes, and as we go about the work, it opens other people's eyes as well. And so there's an encouragement for us in keeping going and following Jesus, because there's a reason why others aren't following him, is because they don't see They're thinking wrongly about Jesus and they need the Holy Spirit to work in them. And there's an encouragement for us that the Holy Spirit has worked so that we see and we follow Jesus. I do want you to notice with this though of how how hard hitting the message is. Alright, you know, you think about Acts 2. When Peter is sharing the good news of Jesus, he's saying, you know, there was Jesus Christ whom you crucified. I don't know whether he pointed at people as he did it or how he communicated, but it's very direct. It's basically saying, you have done a terrible thing. Now, the message is blunt. You know, in today's society, if you, if you talk about people being, you know, bad people, they don't like that. 
I, I remember at university, right, a friend of mine, he came back from one term and he just, as, almost as an experiment, he just started going around and said, you know, you're a bad person to people. And they took great offence at this. If people don't like that, do they? Understandably so. I wouldn't like it. But we've got to understand that is the message that we are not good people, we're bad people, but we can be rescued through what Jesus has done. And here's the thing, we can fall away from following Jesus in a very obvious way. So we can, you know, just say, right, I'm done with Jesus. It's very obvious. And we stop coming to church. We stop believing the good news. We stop living in the way that he's supposed to see. And we're not believing him. I mean, it's just, we may, it's very obvious we've fallen away. <clears throat> we can fall away in subtle ways. Because, you know, as we keep going in following Jesus, what's going to come? Chapter 16, verse 2. Persecution. It's going to be hard as we keep following Jesus and faithfully sticking to the message. What will happen as we do that then, there will be the temptation to step back. Just water down the message. Maybe stop talking about us being, you know, not right with God and just go, oh, well, you know, actually Jesus can make your life better and just change the message subtly. And before we know it, we've, we've changed it to the point where there's no longer a rescue there. See, what happens if you tone down the message? Um, could you just have the next slide? Thanks, Christopher. In, um, in 2017, there was the Grenfell Tower where it unfortunately caught fire. People were in their rooms and the advice they were given was to stay in their rooms. Now, those who ignored the advice got out. Those who stuck to it died. I mean, that is a serious thing, isn't it? It's absolute tragedy what happened there. When it comes to, look, if you're clear on that, you know what the message is. The message is get out of the tower block. It is going up in flames. You don't communicate that in a way that goes, hey guys, it might be a little bit hot out there. You, you might find the temperature, you know, just a bit nicer outside. There's an urgency to the message, isn't there? If you say, guys, look, look, your lives are in danger. You need to get out. We've got to, you know, not tone down the message because it is a message of eternal life. It is more important than life and death. Now, of course, we're not, we shouldn't be deliberately rude in the way that we do that. You know, in talking about us being not right with God, we include ourselves in that. For without Jesus, we are just as bad as anybody else. But we do need to hold on to that truth. And we do need to speak urgently into that. And, you know, people, as we think, oh, maybe people are struggling to, to cope with the news that we're not right with God. But Jesus enables us to deal with what we're really like. Because he rescues us and he makes us right with God. And so the encouragement for us to keep going is this spirit convicts the world. Keep going in that conviction of the truth about Jesus. Don't water it down and keep going in that. Second encouragement we get to keep going in this passage is that the Holy Spirit will lead the apostles into all truth. You know, here are the, the apostles, the disciples. They're asked to stake their lives on following Jesus. And Jesus was there and he, he taught them for three years. And, you know, obviously Jesus was a, a brilliant teacher, but, you know, the disciples were a bit slow on the uptake. As I take it, we would have been if we, we were there. And so verse 12, they can't take everything on at that point. 
And you, um, you have the situation in chapter 14, verse 26. The Spirit, Spirit will remind them of what Jesus has taught them. And verse 13, the Spirit will lead them into all truth. Now, it's not saying it will lead them into all truth in terms of scientific discovery and, you know, Fermat's whatever theorem and all that. It's not talking about that kind of stuff. It's talking about the important truth of, well, being right with God for eternity. The truth about Jesus. The Spirit speaks what he hears that comes from Jesus. It is Jesus' word. And so once Jesus has gone back to heaven, we're not actually reliant on the apostles' memory For the Spirit will continue teaching them. Now what does that mean for us then? What does it mean for us? The fact that the Spirit leads the apostles into all truth. Well we might think, okay, if the Spirit's going to lead them into all truth, it'll lead me into all truth in exactly the same way. And I I just go round and and wait for the Spirit to bring truth to me. Now I'm not saying he can't do that. He can do that. But it's Jesus' words that are the words of truth that the Holy Spirit guides them into and leads them into. And the disciples there heard the words of Jesus and are the ones then that the Spirit brings those words back to mind. And they write the rest of the, the New Testament part that we have, the Bible. So in what way are we guided into all truth? Well, not in exactly the same way as the apostles, We are given Jesus' words in the Bible, and as we read it, what happens is the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see what is going on. See, the Bible and the Spirit go together. That's part of the application for us. Um, Let me give a a slightly weak illustration around this about how things have got to go together. Um, I used to live in, in Herefordshire. You know, a village in Herefordshire, so I had this massive hedge to look after. When we moved into the house, it was pretty overgrown. And in the congregation, there was a professional gardener, gardener, and I kind of asked his advice about how to handle this hedge. And he kind of clearly knew that I was not competent around this. And he offered to come round and give me a hand with it. Well, let me tell you what giving me a hand with it looked like. He basically brought all the right kit, and he did the work. Um, and actually, I just you know, handed in the right machinery when he asked for it and did very little in that. But I guess he's there working away. If he gives me the tools, um, I, I didn't even really know what I was doing. And actually, even when I had a go, after 20 minutes, my arms are kind of shaking and I haven't got, you know, I'm done. I can't do it on my own, even with the right tools. He, if he just pitched up on his own with no tools, wouldn't have been able to do it either. So you need the two things of the person who knows what they're doing and the tools to go with it. Actually, it's just, it's just trying to illustrate for us, in a probably a poor way, that actually the, the Bible and the Spirit go together. So where do we seek truth? We are given the truth in God's Word, in the Bible. But the Bible on its own is just like having the tools without the know-how. Without the person to do it. We need the Holy Spirit to come with it together. And so, what are the practical outworkings for us of this? They are, one, we need to read the Bible, but as we do that, we need God's Spirit. And so we should be praying every time we read the Bible for God's Spirit to open our eyes to understand and grasp hold of God's Word. But we need with the Bible with that, not just starting with the Spirit and praying to the Spirit and then hoping that our minds will be filled. The way God has done it is that we have His truth in His Word that we are to fill our minds with. So it is reading the Bible 
and praying for the spirits to enable us as we read it. It's the same as the word is preached. So if I just stand up with no power of the spirit, useless. So for those of you who preach, we've got to be praying that God's spirit will be working as we preach God's word. As a congregation, as we listen, we've got to pray for God's spirit to be at work in us as his word is preached. Maybe though, as we talk about that, it can all sound a little bit like school, perhaps, right? So, um, you know, I understand a little bit more. But actually, what is going on here is not just, there is an element of understanding, but it is a growing in relationship with Jesus. Maybe you go, right, I'm through the, you know, Sunday school type class, and here we are, we're learning about David and Goliath again. And you think, I know that story. But you know what, every time we come to the word of God, as we receive it through the power of the Spirit, we are engaging with the person of Jesus. It is a relationship thing that is going on. And so third point in verses 14 and 15 is that our encouragement in keeping going is the Spirit supplies the ongoing presence of Jesus. See, what's the Spirit about? Verse 14, glorifying Jesus. Verse 15, the Spirit passes on what Jesus has given him. And so actually what happens is, as God's word, the Bible and his spirit come together, as we experience Jesus. And it's about Jesus rather than the Holy Spirit. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit draws attention to Jesus. He takes what is of from Jesus and passes that on. So the spirit is like a spotlight. We've got a picture there. I take it when you have a spotlight, the purpose of the spotlight is not to get enamoured with the spotlights and focus on that. The spotlight is lighting something, enables you to see what is being lit. And it is like that with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is God. It has all the attributes of God, is amazing. But his role is to glorify Jesus. He's the spotlight onto Jesus. And so if we start focusing on the Spirit instead of Jesus, so we're doing you know, a different thing to what the Holy Spirit is actually doing for us. And what the Holy Spirit does is it glorifies Jesus and supplies the ongoing presence of Jesus with us. I mentioned earlier on, didn't I, about in the passage where Jesus is saying, look, it is for your good that I am going back to heaven. And the reason why it's for your good is because the Holy Spirit that will then, the way is clear for the Holy Spirit to come. It's hard to believe that it will be better, it's better now, than actually physically having Jesus with us. And imagine if Jesus was here. I mean, I'd be stepping aside and say, Jesus, you do the preaching, all right? And you'd have a brilliant, you know, brilliant sermon. We'd hang off every word, but then what happens? As we go in all our different directions, who of us does Jesus go with? Bear in mind, we're only a small community across the, you know, the billions of Christians across the world. We we think it would be better to have Jesus with us, but actually, who does he go with in that sense? And actually, you've only got to look at the apostles to help us grasp this. What were they like when Jesus was with them? Well, they kept getting it wrong. They kept getting it wrong. You just read through the Gospels and they keep making a right hash of it. 
And yet when the Holy Spirit comes on them in power in Acts 2 in Pentecost, suddenly these bunch of losers, for want of a better way of putting it, become world beaters. How has that happened? Because they have the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because they were great. It's because they had God's power through the Spirit. And that Spirit then goes with all of Jesus' followers. So as we go all of our separate ways, we have the Spirit with us. And so we have the ongoing presence of Jesus with us. Not just as a kind of external person with us, but as God in us. See, he goes home with us. He empowers us to serve him this week in our different places. We talked about the danger at the start And the danger was falling away. And that is a big deal because eternity is at stake. We're encouraged though that we have the Holy Spirit. So we can keep going. What's the Holy Spirit do? He comes to convict the world. That he opens our eyes and opens the eyes of others. He leads the apostles into all truth. And so we look at the Bible and the Spirit together. We have the truth with our eyes opened to it. And through that, we have the ongoing presence of Jesus with us. Think about what the week might look like if you had Jesus by your side. You'd think it would go pretty well. Actually, I think the reality is, as you read through the Gospels, is you'd have quite a hard time, probably. Um, But nevertheless, Jesus would be with you. And so it would be okay, even in the difficulties But actually we have the Holy Spirit with us. And that should radically change the way we think about going out this week into the world. So as we we summarise here, there is the case of the challenge to go trust in Jesus because eternity is at stake. And as we trusted in him, rejoice that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see. Keep going. And be encouraged that we can because it doesn't depend on us And us having the power, but we are given the power by the Holy Spirit in us. So let's read God's word this week, praying for him to open our eyes to the power of the Spirit. And then share that good news with others. Not watering down the message, but declaring it, yes, sensitively, but clearly to those around us. As the Holy Spirit enables us to. Well, let's just take a moment to be quiet. Maybe just meditate on these words, meditate on this, what we have as we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit who goes with us and how he enables us to keep going. Just a few moments of, of quiet. Maybe you've not followed him up to this point. You'd like to just, well, a chance to think about eternity being at stake and how Jesus can make that eternity very different. But a few moments to be quiet and then I will lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do want to thank you so much that there is the possibility of life in Jesus' name, that is for eternity. And we pray, I want to pray for any here who do not know that hope yet, that they would see it and come and follow Jesus. 
And we pray then that as we follow him, we would know you're enabling in keeping going. And we pray you'd help us to have right expectations for you have told us that the path is a difficult one. So help us to fix our eyes on what is to come in the future and that it will be abundantly worth it. And help us to know the truth of your spirit with us. Giving us all that we need. Enabling us to keep going. May we be especially conscious of that this week. We thank you for your truth in your word. So we pray we'd be reading that and your spirit opening our eyes to see more of that truth. And to know Jesus as we have your word through your spirit. And that we'd rejoice in that and know the great blessing of that. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.